Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Big Podcast with Bob Goff and friends. I am your host, Scott Schimmel, and I wish I could say I was with Bob, but I'm quarantined alone with my thoughts. Yeah, and I feel like I'm everywhere. If you're like me, uh, I was thinking this is going to be a time of rest. It is so not. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? It's just been crazy because you took it. It kind of makes sense that you took an already complicated life and then you just throw all these other logistics. And so I hope you can find a wide spot in the road. You can sit down and listen in and enjoy the podcast today. And I think this could be such an interesting time to find clarity on your life, to listen to yourself and deal with yourself. As Jen says in this conversation, what does it look like to become absolutely genuine with who you are, an integrated person living in freedom? Oh, what I love about my friend Jen is she is sassy and fun and full of life. Uh, she is unconventional in the best sense of the word. And so one of the things that I hope you'll do is get a pin out, maybe take some notes. There might be something that pings you in this podcast, and you'll say, this is what I'm going to do about that. And so I want you to circle back, because you'll be entertained anytime I'm with Jen, it's just a fun time, but but I want this to be purposeful and meaningful for you as you think, what is my next ambition and how am I going to get there? So listen in to Bob's conversation with Jen Hatmaker. Hey, Jen, thank you so much for making time to jump on with me today. It's so good. I am looking at your face and it's just you are beaming. It looks like your head is just going to rip off from that smile. How are you today? Lucky me. Thanks for having me on. I'm so happy to see you. I'm just yes. like, there you are right on my screen. I'm delighted. I'm so happy to be on here. Yes, we just did a little virtual tour of the space uh, around my little room where I'm holed up and I've got all my favorite stuff. I was teasing that a friend Miles gave me a saddle. I just don't have a horse to go with my saddle. But I just keeps me every time I look at that saddle, I'm thinking, what color horse am I going to get? <laughs> I feel like there is a 100% chance you'll have a horse within the calendar year. I think there's something about you. Just get the saddle, the horse will come. It's like if you build it. Science. And I also, Miles and I, uh, and another great friend, Jamie and Paulo, um, we got this Young Life camp came up for sale. So we bought it and we called it the Oaks. And uh, now we have a camp that nobody can meet at. <laughs> But here's the awesome part about it. Uh, if you did your view, virtual tour of my room, I have a picture of a map of Disneyland on the wall. And uh, it just reminds me so many times of all the beautiful things that I've done there, all the adventures. And the uh, uh, did you know this? Uh, the Disneyland was going to be built on seven acres by Walt Disney in Burbank, of all places. And, they, and he hit all this resistance about building it there. So he said, oh, forget it. I'm just going to buy an orange grove. And the orange grove he bought in Anaheim is the exact same size as the Oaks. So I'm like, where do we put our Matterhorn? I am so ready to just create and come up with all kinds of great stuff there. Okay. Um, I can't wait to see what that becomes. Hey, you've been busy. You have a uh, book coming out. Tell us the name of it and what's it about and why did you write it? 
Okay. It's called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. I cannot get away from alliteration. That apparently is my favorite thing. <laughs> my last book all started with M's. Um, and so, you know what, Bob? I decided to write the book that I really needed five or six years ago. And so, I have taken every single thing that I have learned experientially, everything that I read, all my best teachers, the most interesting thinkers and innovators that I've been exposed to in the last few years, and I compiled every good thing they've taught me about what it means to be absolutely genuine, inside and out, same all the time, not one version of Jen here and another version there and a third over there, uh, but what it means to be just a, an integrated person who's living in freedom. And I just hear from my community a lot, my community of largely women, that that is an area where they still feel hamstrung. And so I'm hoping to put every single tool into the hands of all these women that I love um, and grab on with one another and say, we can do this. We can live in the most sincere, genuine, beautiful, bright way together. And I'm a guy and I'm expecting to learn a ton as well, because that's the thing about authenticity. It bridges over economics. It bridges over gender. It bridges over everything that causes people to be uptight and and distracted and confused. And so I just want clear voices and authentic voices. And uh, and so what happens uh, is that people misunderstand us along the way. You've been misunderstood before. I've been misunderstood before. Um, people uh, develop caricatures of who we are. And then based on all the input that we get, then we become that. So for instance, I write a book, I put some balloons on it. I'm the balloon guy. And indeed, I'm a really fun guy. Uh, however, I have other things that make up me, as you have many things that make up you. Help us understand how that how we can live into an authentic version of ourselves when there's other people that know a little bit about us and they think that represents the entirety of us. Sure. I, I believe most of us step into some of those narratives from the time we're little. Um, sometimes it's our parents telling us this is who we think you are, and those really stick. Those labels have staying power. Um, sometimes it's our culture. Sometimes, you know, our, our, our culture tells you one thing, this is what it looks like to be a man. It tells us this is what it looks like to be a woman. So there, there's all those trappings. And then we have all these little subcultures too that have their own niche norms and their own niche rules. And um, we are granted typically belonging if we follow those, if we yes. the template, um, yep. then our re, our prize is that we get to belong, and and thusly our punishment is that we don't when we break form. And it's really interesting how that happens too. It isn't so much somebody pulls you aside and says, "Hey, need you you need to get back in line here," but it's in subtle ways. It's getting the hairy eyeball. Uh, it's the glance of disapproval. It's a, it's a word. It's a condescending kind of hmm, meaning all kinds of judgment over that. And here's the deal: that we're all insecure, and we just work out our insecurities differently. Some people deal with their insecurities by being like mean. Other people deal with them by being super quiet. Uh, other people deal with them by being really funny. You're talking to two of them. Um, so we just think if we could lighten the mood and then we could everybody chill out. But there's actually a method behind that that I actually want to 
depressurize the room so we can actually have the conversation we should have rather than the one that it looked like we were going to have. So tell us about that. If you could feel confident enough in who you are, we could be very strategic without manipulating other people. You could be strategic in where you steer the conversations. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I can point to some pretty good markers because um, sometimes people say, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not even sure. I'm not really even sure who I am inside this space or this community or in my own skin even. Um, and so I noticed in my own life that there'd be a pretty predictable disparity between something I was either saying on the outside or, or agreeing with just in my silence um, and versus how I really felt on the inside. And so when I started to notice that I had several of these areas where more or less I was performing or outright fraudulent, kind of ran the gamut, um, they started waving their hand like, I'd like you to notice I'd like you to notice this. And I started to have to figure out that I could actually trust myself. I could trust my, I could trust my gut. I could trust my instinct. I could trust that intuition that would sometimes tell me, this isn't actually what you think, or this isn't actually how you feel, or this is really something that you want. And it's okay to say that. Um, or this is a way that you want to connect with your most important people in the healthiest possible way. And so what I noticed is that I spent several years of my adult life, well, I guess I would say trying to constantly keep the peace, but I noticed I didn't have any peace. Oh, interesting. Or, That's a really you know, well I was said. trying to keep the peace or I would, and by in doing that, I was robbing some other communities of peace um, yes. by not being a good neighbor, by not being a good ally. And so those to me were red flags that started waving a little bit saying, I wonder if we could do some work here. Yeah. One of the uh, things, if you're listening, um, you could pull off to the side of the road, jot down a couple notes from something that Jen has said that resonated with you, because the goal of this isn't to just agree. If something pings you, if it resonates write it down and say, how could I actually incorporate that into my life, into these relationships? What are the red flags that are waving? Uh, I know for me, I would uh, have the opportunity to talk to people and I'd find myself talking about the guy I wish I was rather than the guy I actually am right now. So uh, what I started doing is clapping my hands anytime I, in mid-sentence, I realize, oh my gosh, I'm talking about the person I aspire to be someday, and I'm making it sound like I've arrived there. And I ended up giving myself a lot of applause. I ended up being so awkward. It's like Toastmasters when they used to throw the, the marble in the can every time you said, um. It was so irritating for me to be clapping my hands to say, wait a second, do over. I'm trying to carve this new little groove in my brain. And so one of the things I want to do is uh, get back to authenticity, to be self-aware enough to know this is, I have some beautiful aspirations. I just don't want to fool myself because I'm trying to become the caricature of someone else and how they told me or thought I was supposed to be. And it's not sinister. Nobody has it in for you. They just, there was these messaging you get, you're the happy guy. And to just be able to clap my hands and say, man, I'm feeling really uh, sad today. And here's why. 
Um, and man, I think that's where people just want to lean in. Give me a, a ounce of authenticity rather than a, a pound of insecurity. Um, just to say, like, just like you'll know, just talk about the way it really is. So I'm so glad that you've written that book. And so if you're listening, maybe go down and write down a couple things that somebody has uh, the caricature of you that's been painted by different people. They've said, you're the confident one, or you're the funny one, or you're the whatever. What are some other prompts we could give to friends that are listening, Jen? Yeah, I think that work of self-identification is good work. And we're not necessarily great we're not necessarily skilled at self-evaluation. Um, we have we're pretty faulty reporters on oh, our own interior yes. wiring, and nice. it goes back to some of the stuff you were saying earlier, Bob. Which is just we've had a lot of intel on that, and some of it's no good, right? Some of it's no good, or some of it's old. It's just dated, and and it maybe was something we were twenty years ago, but we've grown, or we've evolved, or we've changed. But those those early labels really stick. They have staying power. And so I it's funny because there's a sort of a narrative out there that says this kind of work is pretty selfish or it's incredibly self-involved or self-absorbed. This this mining, who am I? How did God make me to thrive? Like how am I crafted to flourish on this earth? What gifts do I have to bring to bear? Um, what, what does it look like for me to thrive in my relationships? Uh, what sort of boundaries set me up for like the highest point of contribution on this earth? And, um, you know, sometimes that sort of evaluation is couched as being just navel gazing, right? And, and, and selfish, but I don't find that to be true at all. In my experience, what I have, what I have seen, what I've witnessed and what I've actually experienced in my own life is that men and women who tap, take on that task, who say, I'd like to, I'd like to know who I am so that I can live that fullest life on this earth are the they're the greatest ones. They're the kindest. They're the most generous. They are the ones really flourishing in their talents and in their gifts. Um, I find that they're the ones that are most generous with their communities. And so rather than an prioritizing an end game where, all, where we're all just obsessed with ourselves, I find that that kind of heavy interior lifting creates amazing human beings, beautiful churches, great marriages and families. And so I'm real excited about that 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 excites me when I think about nurturing my community toward that goal. Part of that too is that what springs to mind is to love people without an agenda, and this overarching idea that when love has an agenda, it isn't love anymore. And so maybe perhaps figuring out what I'm going to do is instead of trying to figure out how to fix you, Jen, and then I'll move on to your husband, then I'll fix your kids, and I'll fix your community. And to say, uh, what I'm going to do is just be fully present with you. I'll be the student, you be the teacher, and you have a great deal uh, for a decade. You've been teaching me so much about life. And to say, I'm a student. And it's easy to be your student because we're friends, but to actually become the student of some people that are a little bit difficult, um, to find the people that have uh, been kind of in your uh, face about something, kind of got in your grill about something. I was talking to some friends yesterday. I've been using some of this time in seclusion to read through the Benedictine uh, rules, uh, because all the monks were like supposed to do what we're doing all right now. 
And so uh, get, make sure you don't get it in King James because it's a drag. But there's actually a, an English version you can understand. And it says if somebody comes in and they're very critical of you, um, uh, pause and see if there's something there for you to understand and learn from. But once you've done that and you've, if they continue to speak to you, get two stout men to take them outside and explain things to them. <laughs> So I want you to, there's something about that. Just so like say, is there something here for me to learn and groom? And then if not, find two stout men to take them outside and just explain things to them. And I think what we can do with kindness is we can guard our hearts, Proverbs 4.23, but at the same time, not get in on the one hand, get inside the vault. And on the other hand, not slam everybody's fingers in the door. Uh, and so what we end up doing is we end up slamming our fingers in the door because we've, we're conflicted. We want to guard our heart, yet we have all this messaging for other people. What is it that you say to people that feel that conflict? They feel that tension in their lives. Uh, I, I've lost interest, I think, in the the cancel culture where we slam our own fingers in the door constantly. Um, you know, that's got a lot of, that's so easy. It's an easy reach to be easily angered, to be easily offended, as you just mentioned, to not even take that one second of pause to say, I wonder if there's something here for me. Because sometimes there is. You know, sometimes there is. And sometimes there's a nugget in there to listen to and to noodle and to sit with for a little bit. And I, I love I love that level of self-awareness. I love it when we are in a place where we're free enough to not constantly be defensive um, and then offensive, offensive all the time. And so I notice, and I learned this from you, of course, a lot too, Bob, that... The, all those instincts that I have, and I'm a naturally defensive person, that's my first way to feel. My first way to feel is um, mad and misunderstood and, uh, and I'm quick with my words. And so, but I've noticed that if we can take it out of the realm of like the public eye, you know, or the internet, which is kind of just a false construct really, um, that this, this is not the way I experience people in real life. Um, that is, it doesn't live, that, that sort of scenario does not live in my real life. And so I encourage people as much as possible, get in the room together, right? Like take a walk and talk voice to voice to one another, um, write a letter, something old fashioned and wonderful, like real human connection, because inside of those spaces, I find so much more empathy and so much more cooperation, um, a willingness to listen, a willingness to, um, to speak truthfully. And so I've tried to take myself out of the game as much as possible. That suggests that flourishes on barbs, you know, and just jabs and digs and pokes and prods. And um, while that may have decent currency in, in a public place or on the internet, I find that it's not really good for the human heart. And yeah. so I hope that that is something that maybe we're kind of learning right now in this weird time where all of our normal things are off the table for us. And we're having to, con we're really having to connect hard. Oh, everybody Earth just got sent to their room. And so I just want to know, okay, we got sent to our room. We used to call it, we didn't ground the kids. We had a bench of knowledge. We said, go to the bench of knowledge and think about that. 
<laughs> I don't know. It was just, uh, we're all on the bench of knowledge. The most frequent questions we hear at Dream Big are actually really simple. The questions are this, how do I do it? How do I focus on my ambitions and bring them to life? How do I reorganize everything and move towards these dreams that are inside me? That's what Dream Big is all about. And we want to give you an actual resource that you can use so that you can move from your ideas and your ambitions to reality. So go to the link in the show notes, download a really simple workbook that you can use today. And let's just get down to super practical things for people to do. So uh, you're off put. Uh, somebody's misunderstood you. They've hurt you. They've sent something that's wounded you or they've just uh, done something wrong. It was just flag on the play. And uh, so what I've been trying to uh, do as a practice is I write down the thing that I have a right to say. And then I say, before I say that, I would fill in before that, what could I find the grace to say? And to start out, if you look at all of Paul's letters, like it's like a kiss and a slap. He could talk about the the right thing. And then the second task for me is to take out the thing that I have a right to say. So just say it, fill it front load it with grace, and then get rid of the back end. Because you just when you find the grace, you don't need to find it. It's like that you can be uh, correct and not right. And I don't want to be just correct anymore. One thing that I love that you just said, which I think is important, and I, and I think to some degree, both men and women are conditioned for this, women especially, which is that we are not even really giving given permission to feel our feelings. Um, we, ha we have to move so quickly into um, equalizing the room or diminishing conflict. That's generally our job in, in you know, most scenarios. So I really appreciate what you just said, which is go ahead and feel your feeling, like feel it. Maybe maybe you really were, maybe your feelings really were hurt. And maybe that really did sting and write it down even, like give it a little, give it a little home. Give it somewhere to live. Um, because even just that, I think that letting that emotion move through and feel it, look at it in the face, maybe get write it down, it is, that takes away some of its power too. Um, and so then we are able to operate with our better angels, right? And, and imagine what's the, what is possibility here? Like, what's the possibility? I feel like, now this is not scientific. I'm making this up on the spot. But when I respond graciously, um, to a person or a comment that stung me. And when I decide, okay, I wonder if I could pull some of the air out, the oxygen out of this um, conversation with kindness. It, I think it works eight out of 10 times that usually yeah. that person is, they're just confused or they're um, scared about something or that they've got their own stuff there and that a generous answer i've been shocked sometimes at the possibility that opens up on the other side of that yeah there's something that happens it sounds like there must be a proverb in there somewhere that um that if you can just say for the two out of ten times that it doesn't work that doesn't make you the victim it makes you a participant and, uh, and I just want to continue to be a participant rather than emotionally taking my marbles and going home. And sometimes what happens is people don't have a shelf to put whatever emotion they're feeling on. That's why it's ricocheting off the walls. And I would say to just to your point, to in a moment of pause, build a new shelf 
and to just say, I, we've got to find a shelf for this thing or it is going to be ricocheting everywhere. And I just don't want to do that. You know, it's been a crazy thing, Jen. I have got a lot of uh, friends now from this class I teach at San Quentin uh, Penitentiary. And uh, they have phones. I'm not sure how they have phones, but they've got phones. And they will call me up, and I bet I've gotten six calls uh, from these individuals that say, you know what, during this crazy time of coronavirus, I want you to know that we're praying here for you. I'm like, well, wait a second, because they don't have coronavirus in prison, because the only way they could get it, because there's no visitors right now, is the is from the guards and they don't want to be near the guards and the guards actually don't want to be near them. So they're, so they're actually, their concern has been for us and what uh, in this moment, they've actually been way more free than me. Uh, Cause they'll call up. I've just got, I, I'll show you when we uh, sign off, I picked up the mail today. I've got a, a set of 20 socks from another prison and these prisoners, they uh, get together and they want uh, to reach out to the world. And they say, you can't walk in our shoes, but you can walk in our socks. So for $1.25, they can buy a pair of prison socks and they write notes on the prison socks. And they say, Bob, will you just give them to people for us? And they're not notes saying, uh, they're not saying, give me a file, give me an alibi. <laughs> and they're just saying, man, this is what I'm hoping for you. And that's where we find the beauty. Uh, it's in the empathy. It's realizing that other people might be going through things. And then hearing from you, listener, whoever you are, one kind word, one text message uh, from you to say to somebody where it's been a little difficult, just say we're good. Um, or to say, if we need to talk, say, let's talk, make the phone call. Don't make an appointment. Just make the phone call. And will it be awkward? Of course it will. You guys are building shelves. You're carpenters. Jesus was one. Now you're one. Uh, let's just get at the hard work. I love that you've got this book coming out. What's your uh, uh, another practical tip you can give, Jen? Because I know that there have been times where we've spoken before that you really got your feelings hurt. You'd be like, I got my feelings hurt. And uh, and I've been able to express to you, and I've had my feelings hurt. Um, what's a practical tip for people when that's happening? Um, I love this conversation because... The truth is we're just wobbly human people. Like we're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And somebody's going to do the same to us. That's just the price of human life. You know, that's, that's just how it's going to be. And what I notice in my community, and I even notice it as my own instinct, is that there's this sense that um, in order to avoid the, these inevitable conflicts, that we will just stuff it down, right? Or pretend like it didn't bother us or um, refuse to have what, like you just said, probably an awkward but good conversation with somebody because we are so conflict averse. But how that has played out in my life is that it makes it worse, not better. Because we bury that stuff alive. You know, that it doesn't just go away because we want it to. And so my position, like my thesis here with the whole book, the whole idea is that truth is our friend. It is our friend in every scenario, in our, inside of our relationships, inside of our own souls and hearts and minds, inside of our churches and communities. And so I just, I have said, I think most, even just decent relationships can handle the sort of 
warm hand of truth, even if it's awkward, even if it's like, oh, I've got to say something kind of hard and I don't know how you're going to receive it, but I love this. I love you and I love us and I want this repair. Um, most relationships can not only survive those, um, those confrontations and conversations, but they can flourish it because of them. Like a, a relationship repaired by forgiveness is a powerful thing. But what I notice is that silence is really the kiss of death. When we just decide I'm, I so don't want to have this, this conversation that I'll just pretend like it's fine, but you know what happens. It comes out of, it comes out passive aggressively. It comes out of our body language. It comes out of our facial expressions, or we just start withdrawing. And so to me, we've got to love each other well enough to say, I don't love having hard conversations when we've gotten sideways. Um, yes. or I don't love having to say that really hurt me. I don't think you meant to, but it did. Um, and yet truth is our friend here. I think truth will strengthen our relationships, not fragment them. Um, and so I hope that we can sort of dig deep enough as adults to do this well, simply because we love that other person and we value their relationship and their presence in our life. Yeah. What if we thought of us doing these things uh, awkwardly, but willingly, uh, for the benefit of our grandchildren. So that if I could navigate this, I have a bigger purpose. And to just say, man, I'm giving this thing three out of 10 that'll say this well, but my intent that is that I could love you like a boss, uh, but I've got uh, so many uh, shortcomings that I'm trying to sort through. I'm having trouble finding the right words here. Uh, but let me just get us in the zip code if I don't get us at the on your porch. Um, and there's just something really beautiful about that. You don't have to be, yeah. And then, then another tip as you're talking, don't be all wind up and no pitch. Don't spend all the time talking about how awkward this is and how bad you are at saying it and all this. And then you never get to it. Just like, dude, get to it. <laughs> like, just say it and say, I'm not going to do this thing perfectly, but I, I really am, uh, in this process of learning and to do this. And so what I'm doing is, and then don't do this as a big wind up to then blasting them with both barrels because then you lose all credibility. Just kind of, you can merge with traffic. You don't need to T-bone every car in front of you. And I think I th that if we can learn to do that maturely and graciously and generously, what it does is we begin to develop this really important muscle memory to both give and receive forgiveness. And I just don't know how else we can get through the day. I mean, we just got to have this. This has got to um, find a more central place in our culture right now, which is like just humility, right? We're not here just to burn everybody down all the time. There's so much to salvage. There's so much to repair. There's so much possibility on the other side of, of conflict. And, um, and so again, this is one of those things where in this, in this intent to keep the peace, we end up sacrificing the peace. And so, um, I'd love to see, um, marriages and relationships with children and with friends and churches um, really become their most vibrant version of themselves with the beautiful salve of truth just applied inside of it. I think we can do this. And it may feel super, super uh, at the beginning, but then that stuff gets easier. That stuff gets easier. And, and then we learn, we really learn the rhythms of grace and forgiveness and conflict resolution. Yeah, beautifully said. And just, uh, you don't need to swing at every pitch, but you got to get in the game. You need to say, I'm going to do what's difficult for me, and I'm not going to compare 
my stuff with your stuff because God never compares what he creates. What he does is he just keeps creating and he keeps creating these opportunities. Uh, and then to the extent that you have the courage for that and you have the, the gumption, uh, step into it and see how it goes. You know what? And if you get your ears uh, boxed on this thing, don't say, well, I'm out. I'm never doing this. Stop making these agreements with yourself because they're bad deals. Uh, to say, well, that didn't go well. What I, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get two stout men to take that person out and <laughs> explain things to them. Uh, <laughs> well, Jen, Jen, I love you. You encourage me and so many other people. For the three people on earth that don't know how to get in contact with you, what's your Twitter and all the other stuff? What are the ways we can reach you? I'm just Jen Hatmaker everywhere. You know, there just can't be another one. How many hat makers are there in the world? And um, and so you can get me on, you know, instant, all the places. And I thank you for having me on today, Bob. It just means the world to me and you mean the world to me. And um, you're just special to me and to my community. And it's just, this made me so happy today while I am still at this house to get to talk to you and see your face. So the pleasure is all mine. Likewise. Well, send in love to you and the family. Bob, one of the things that Jen said that really stuck out to me, she said, we're pretty faulty reporters on our own interior wiring. Yeah, Jen has such a great, uh, not only uh, flair with her words, but to get at the heart of the matter for us. And so a little self-examination to figure out why are you doing what you're doing? And to say, is this insecurity speaking? Is this your joy? Is this ambition? But to kind of just figure out the uh, return address. Why is it that this is not only happening to me, but what's my role in all of this? And Jen talked about this idea that we can do the heavy interior lifting of our lives. We can confront and address the things in our lives that need to be confronted and need to be addressed. What does it look like for you during this time of quarantine? Yeah, I'm back to the simplest notions like, what do you want? Why do you want it? Um, if you could figure out like, what do you want and why do you want it? And so you could say, apply that to relationships. I want a relationship, say, if you're not in one, um, you say, why do I want a relationship? Um, what is it about the relationship and which, uh, what is it going to fill inside of me? And then you can actually ping that and say, would that be actually true? You could say that about accumulation of wealth. Like, what do I want? I want a bunch more money, but then ask them, deeper question would say, why do I want that? Is that because I'm afraid and you think that'll fix it? I've never met people that are more scared than a guy that owns the jet because <laughs> he's afraid he's going to lose the jet. Find somebody that's got nothing. They're not afraid of anything because a bad day, that's just Tuesday for them. <laughs> they're still broke. So wherever you are on the spectrum, I, I think to just say, what do I want? Why do I want it? And then most importantly, what are you going to do about it? What's your next step? What's the next courageous step for you? Yeah, so the question that I'm getting out of this conversation with Jen is, who do you want to be when the shutdown is finally shut down? So how can we use this as a time to be reflective and to do that interior lifting and, and not just take what we've thought about ourselves in the past or what people have said about us in the past as fact, as gospel, but to do some rewiring of how we understand ourselves. Yeah, what did you think wasn't possible before you got sent home or fired or whatever? And then you realize the sun is going to rise in the morning and say, okay, new creation, new Bob, 
new day, what am I going to be? And I'll, I'll tell you in this last month or year, however long it's been that we've been shut down, I feel like I've changed a lot. Some things that I didn't think were possible, actually, they work all day long. So I'm just going to do that. So if that is you and you found a wide spot on the road, I want you to pull over and say, it's game plan time. They're going to figure out why am I doing what I'm doing? What's my next courageous move? Uh, why, what is it that I want and why do I want it? And then figure out what am I going to do about it? Write that stuff down and then do something about it. Well, make sure you go pick up a copy of Jen's new book, Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, and get after that interior lifting to be more like Jen and more like who you're supposed to be. 